welcome again to another edition of Locked In Science. We are increasingly less locked in, but it's probably still going to be a while before we actually make it back into the studio. But we are still going to do our best to bring you half an hour of science every week. Who are we? Well, I am Stu and on the show this week, I'm going to have a little bit of a look at sleep apps and do you do you use any apps for your for your sleeping Claire no look um sleep apps um I once used a sleep app it was very early days of the smartphone uh you know when we had when we first got smartphones and I used a sleep app to record my sleep talking because I do sleep talk a lot um, and it freaked me out so much and I said such weird stuff that I was like mm, actually I think I'd rather not know about this and I never used it again. <laughs> <laughs> Look that's that's perfectly reasonable I'm sure they record all sorts of things while you're asleep that you don't necessarily want to know about but the sleep apps I'm going to be talking about this week are apps that help people get to sleep. Right. Okay. Okay. So ones that tell you you were very sleepy. So yeah, the hypnotic, Yeah. Uh, you know, old school stage hypnotist. No, no, no. They're mostly based on sort of white noise and that sort of thing and just sort of help people drift off to sleep while they're, you know, listening to, to mm. sounds coming from the app. But um, there's a lot of there's a lot of apps around that do this kind of thing, and a lot of people obviously have trouble sleeping, so they sell pretty well. Uh, but I just was wondering if there was any science behind the uh, behind the theory, and uh, it turns out there's been quite a lot of studies on these kind of apps. And um, yeah, I'm just going to have a look at what the evidence says about the uh, the effectiveness of these kind of um, sleep inducing apps that you can get very interesting i'll be very interested to hear that i have i know a lot of i know a lot of families with young kids who swear by the white noise as a way of getting their um their babies and their young children to sleep and then they end up um then they end up becoming addicted to the white noise as well so should it'll it'll be really interesting to hear that yes uh, and Claire, what have you got for us this week? Well, Stu, um, you know, we might be a little bit less locked in um, as of a couple of days ago if you do happen to live in Victoria and Metro Melbourne. Uh, and it's just in time because it is the Aussie backyard bird count. It is on again. Uh, that's BirdLife Australia's National Citizen Science Project program uh you can download an app and get out into anywhere it could be your backyard it could be the local creek it could be a beach wherever you are and um spend 20 minutes there and count birds um and it is a way of informing scientists and researchers what birds are out there where they are um geographically what their abundance is um to make sort of you know generalizations and 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 you know be able to be able to tell um, how an environment is going um, due to the number of birds and the type of birds that are there. So, I mean, I love this time of year. I love the Aussie bird count. Um, so I'm going to be talking through that and um, some of my favourite birds. Well, fantastic. Well, uh, stay tuned for details on that later in the show.
seem like a bit of a hard concept to grasp with the quieter nights a lot of people have experienced this year, but many people around the world have recurring trouble getting to sleep. Uh, and as with everything else these days, there has been an explosion of apps designed to combat this problem in one way or another. And there are hundreds of apps available for smartphones. Um, and there are also standalone devices that supposedly help people get to sleep. And even, you know, you can get like sets of earbuds that you wear in your ears that help you get to sleep. You know, you've got um, standalone sort of clock radio type devices that are basically supposed to put you on an express train to the land of Nod, stopping <laughs> no stations. Sounds like a good place to be. Uh, now, a lot of these are based on the idea of white noise, which we would probably recognise as the sound of static. Um, probably something a lot less common these days. Now we have digital TV and radio. Um, so is white noise, you know, people say static, but is it, what is it really? Um, like, I is it like the sound of waves or like, does it have a certain sort of like decibel structure or what is it? It does. I mean, the old static that we used to get on, on radio, well, still do get on radio and on TV, is basically the sound of the universe. When you when you tune an old analogue radio not to a station, you're basically picking up all the radio signals that are just bouncing around in the air. But the white noise itself does have a distinctive... Um, pattern of frequencies and it's 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 basically just a, a random uh, assortment of noises which we can't really distinguish any specific sound out of it it's kind of like you know what we what we think of as a sort of a hissing noise a background hiss i guess um now the idea behind using that kind of sound in an app is that a continuous but sort of unobtrusive inoffensive sound might be able to drown out irregular noises from outside and allow people to drift off to sleep more easily. It's also been suggested that because our auditory system is still switched on while we sleep, the constant background noise continues to drown out other noises which may otherwise wake us up so we would get supposedly better uninterrupted sleep. And... I think you sort of alluded to this earlier, Claire, is that um, the final proposed reason for using this kind of app is that if you use it every night, it will set up a behavioral sort of Pavlovian response and mm. you'll get used to sleeping when the white noise starts up every night. You'll start getting sleepy, getting <laughs> sleepy, like a, like a hypnotist. Um, so... I was, you know, sort of reading about this sort of thing and I was wondering, well, what about the science? Is there any science behind these ideas of the of the white noise machine type apps? And there has been a lot of work done into these kind of devices and this kind of, um, I guess, therapy almost to get people to sleep easier. So there have been hundreds of studies looking into the use of sound to enhance sleeping in people of all ages. But the evidence is really not 
great that it actually works. So the quality of evidence is really what what has been looked at. So a systematic review of using noise as a sleep aid called very creatively noise as a sleep aid a systematic <laughs> review published in the the Journal of Sleep Medicine Reviews. Who knew there was such a specialized journal? Who knew? Sleep Medicine Reviews. Oh. Um, this was in this was in February and it looked into all of these studies. And they whittled down 792 papers. That's a lot of studies to be sifting through to a much more manageable 38 to make sure they were actually comparing similar experiments. Do you think that um, that was a good way for them to fall asleep by whittling, um, you know, over 790 papers down to one review? I think definitely that would have helped them with their their personal insomnia if that was such a problem yes. that they were having. But yeah, so they they ended up with thirty eight, and they looked at the uh, expected effects of continuous noise on sleep behaviour. Turns out there is more to white noise than just white noise. There is also pink noise. Whoa! Who knew there was what? pink noise? And broadband noise so there's all these different depending on the frequency and the intensity of the noise that you're hearing they classify them slightly differently um but what they've done is that they've just said look there are all these different kinds of noise but we're just going to call them continuous noise for mm, the purposes okay. of comparison so they found that the quality of support for the idea that continuous low-level noise improved sleep was very low across all the studies they looked at. Mainly they thought due to sample sizes. So the, um, the smaller the sample size, you get greater variation because you've got fewer points of data to, to compare. So you, again, <laughs> if you're looking at a graph, it doesn't look so good. Um, but... Uh, they did find some relatively good evidence. So continuous noise did help people get to sleep faster, especially in children and for all you rock and roll fans out there in patients with severe tinnitus, which is ringing in the ears. So people who suffer from tinnitus using low-level continuous noise did actually get to sleep faster than not having that uh, background noise. Which is, right. you know, that's an interesting study in itself. They also found that continuous noise in certain settings was beneficial to prevent sleep fragmentation. So um, if there's lots of other noise around, it can often wake you up. But if you've got this continuous background noise, you're less likely to wake up and have that fragmented sleep. For example, in hospital settings. So in a hospital, there's always people shuffling around working doing their doing their thing even you know during the night there's other patients and all sorts of things so in hospital settings they found that continuous noise in the background did help prevent sleep fragmentation but outside of those specific situations the evidence was a very low quality and putting a noise making machine in a bedroom which was otherwise quiet was much more likely to wake people up so if you're in a quiet room and you put on a machine that's making a lot of noise, chances are it's going to wake you up or at least, um, you know, interfere with your, with your sleep. And 
it also seems that continuous noise while people slept resulted in it resulted in them getting a lower quality of sleep based on measures that they had introduced for this uh, the purpose of this study. So, as far as the science goes, a white noise machine type sleeping app may help people get to sleep, but unless there is a lot of other noise, they are better off having it switch off soon after they switch off. Um, and one thing that the study does make quite clear that an app is not necessarily the best thing if you want to take a nap. <laughs> Science, the final frontier. These are the voyages of Lost in Science, our ongoing mission to explain strange new words, to seek out new science and new explanations, to boldly go where no radio has gone before. So, Stu, 2020 may have turned everything on its head, but some things haven't changed. One of those things I am pleased to say is that the Aussie Backyard Bird Count is on again. You know, my favourite citizen science project. Well, one of my favourite citizen science projects. Oh, look, which which citizen science projects don't you like? That's Claire? right. I mean, it's easy to list those ones. <laughs> Um, exactly, exactly. So, uh, you know, once you finish listening to Lost in Science, um, or even while you were listening to community radio, make sure you pop outside. Um, you can download the Aussie Bird Count app and you can start counting birds. Um, but in the meantime, I'm going to tell you all about it. So you've got, um, you've, you've got all the information at your fingertips. So, Aussie Backyard Bird Count. It's Citizen Science Project. It's happening between the 19th and the 25th of October. Um, and it only takes place once per year. And it is at a very auspicious time uh, during National Bird Week, obviously. Hmm. Yeah. Um, now, there are many reasons to get involved in this Citizen Science Project. One is that it is an all-ages activity uh, and it really promotes and involves observing and counting the birds that live near you. Now, despite what the label says, uh, the Aussie backyard bird count doesn't mean you need to have a backyard. You can be, um, you know, you can assume that everywhere that you can count a bird is your backyard. So you could be counting in your garden, you could be the local park, you could be the beach, you could be even in the town centre, um, which, you know, is a plus for me, <clears throat> is a plus for me because you're getting out of the house. So the idea is it doesn't really matter where you're counting the birds, that you record the location and you record all the birds you see. That's the whole gist of the, the That's idea. the whole gist. That's right. Um, and and if you are in Melbourne, just make sure you are within your 25-kilometre radius of where you live um, because I'm sure no one is going to accept the, um, the excuse, oh, I really wanted to see a rare bird outside of my 25-kilometre radius. 
it's not gonna it's a, there's no there's no permit you can get for that no one, so no sorry. unfortunately not this time maybe we can request one from dan andrews later down the track um the other very good reason to get involved is that your counts contribute significant data to BirdLife Australia and help researchers develop an understanding of um, birds in your local area. So this is important because uh, it's the more common species of birds that give researchers the best indication of the health of the environment. So rather than whether there are super rare birds there. So think of... Think of birds as a barometer for how the environment is going on a whole. So the more we know about um, all birds, the better understanding we have about how the environment is going. Um, so they're kind of, uh, are they kind of looking at uh, abundance rather than diversity? Is that kind of what they're looking at? Well, they're looking at both, really. Um, they want to know, you know, what species... Um, are most abundant, uh, but then also, you know, where they are distributed and if they're moving into new territories as well, because that's that's super important. And I think another very good reason is that you get to know the wildlife close to your home. And you would be surprised with how diverse uh, wildlife, urban wildlife is if you live in an urban or suburban area. Um, and, you know, just throwing it out there, when you think about it and the fact that birds are the closest living relatives to dinosaurs, doing the bird count is the closest you're going to come to a trip to Jurassic Park, which is always cool. Or, or Jurassic World, as, as the kids might know it these days. <laughs> Jurassic World. No, everyone still knows that it's Jurassic Park. Come on. <laughs> Sam, Sam Neill's still got it, Stu. Sure, he does. <laughs> um, so, yeah, let me tell you how to get involved in the bird camp. First things first, go find yourself a comfortable outside spot. Spend 20 minutes standing or sitting and watching for birds. So for every bird you see, you can note it down. And you can do that either in the app, which I highly recommend, um, or via online on a web form if you don't happen to have a smartphone. For example, you might see... Four Australian magpies, two red bell lorikeets, and a self-crested cockatoo. You can note them all down. And um, if you're a clever birdo, you might even be able to identify birds by their calls. So you can count. You can count them. But um, if, like me, you get your magpies and your butcher bird calls um, a little bit confused. Uh, make sure you only put down the ones that you know 100% are the right ones. How do you know? How do you know it's not someone hiding behind the fence, just making bird calls? <laughs> a bird impersonator. <laughs> a bird person impersonator. Yeah, a bird person impersonator. <laughs> um, look, I mean, you know, that is a that's a that's a point. Maybe check for bird person impersonators. Also, you know, I mean, lie birds do um, make calls that aren't uh necessarily their call they might be imitating other birds so um that that might be something to think at think about if you're in the um if you're in the home range of the lie bird or um or stew if you're also in the home range of stew then watch out he might be making bird calls i'm i'm terrible at bird calls are they you just, well no, just, uh, well you aren't yeah. going to fool anyone yep. then stew you're not fooling anyone the, the only one I know is one that sounds like an obscene word, so I'm not going to do that. <laughs> is that the wattle bird? No, no, no. No, the crow. Oh, the crow. 
I do a great crow. I'll do it for you one day. Okay. okay. All right. So now um, I mentioned it is Bird Week, which sounds, I think, a lot like Bush Week, which I love. Um, apparently, it's a tradition dating back to the 1900s. And it makes sense for us to be doing this survey right now because if you haven't noticed, it's spring. And you know what happens in spring with the birds and the bees? They get more lively and visible, don't they? <laughs> they they do indeed. They do. Actually, I did I did see a uh, a little a little egg had fallen out of a tree the other day. So they're definitely doing their breeding at this time of year. So yes, like you were saying, um, they do nest. They're breeding. They're flocking, and they're generally uh, more playful at this time of year. So. The other thing is that thousands of migrant birds have returned to our shores in spring as well. Um, so you might, if you um, are able to get down to uh, to the shore, to the ocean, you might be able to see some of those birds and count them. Um, and a lot of Australians are out there are probably noticing some extremely loud visitors to their gardens at the moment from the cuckoo family. So you might have heard the Pacific coal uh, with its 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 call, extremely loud and repetitive, or everyone's favourite, the Channel Bill Cuckoo. Oh, my goodness. I mean, yeah, very loud birds, and they can keep you up at all hours of the morning and the night, um, and really repetitive calls. If you haven't heard either of those birds, then consider yourself lucky, but if you... Um, yeah, if, if they are in your garden at the moment, I commiserate with you. Um, and before I... So that's like the, they're like, they're like the opposite of a, of a sleep app. They, they won't <laughs> help you get to sleep. They are, they are the, op, they're the total opposite of a sleep app. Exactly. Um, now, before I let you get on with your bird survey, I thought I would give you a reminder of what the results last year showed, what we know from the Citizen Science Project last year. So last year, there were over 3.4 million birds counted across the nation compared to 2.7 million the year before. So we're going up steadily. Um, let's hope that we continue to smash those records. Um, and for the first time since 2014, a new bird made it into the top 10 of most commonly seen species. And that was everyone's favorite binophile, da -da 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 -da, the white ibis. The bin chicken. The bin chicken made it from uh, 13th spot to 10th spot last year. Um, now, that supports uh, BirdLife Australia's findings um, showing that birds were being impacted by the continued drought in regional areas of Australia. Um, so birds like the white ibis are moving um, towards wetter areas close to the coast. So other results also showed that several um, dry country birds like the white-winged triller, the crimson chat, and the pied honeyeater were also recorded in areas uh, that were not that they were not normally found in. Um, and taking the top spot, so the most counted bird last year was, can you guess? Very um, bright, bright colours, shoots across the sky, really loud, normally in groups. The uh, rainbow lorikeet? It was. It was the rainbow lorikeet by a big margin. Um, Australians counted over 400,000 rainbow lorikeets. Um, I mean, maybe some of those were counted twice or three times. <laughs> <laughs> 
They're also, you've got to admit, they're easy to spot. They're noisy and they're very brightly coloured. That's so right. That's right. Really and miss them if and the around. distances they travel, I think I can hear some right, right now, which is, which is fantastic. Um, but, yeah, the rise of the rainbow lorikeet uh, highlights the change in Aussie backyards over the past half century. So um, traditional European-style cottage gardens changing to native backyards. Uh, which provide a place for the nectar-loving lorikeets to forage on eucalypts and bottle brushes and grevilleas um, to harvest nectar and pollen. So that's that's really interesting that we're seeing sort of like change in our bird life because of what we're planting in our gardens um, and shows the impact of that planting natives can really have. Um, so we're going to have to wait and see who will make it in the top 10 this year. Or whether you know the other huge events that have happened in 2020 are going to impact the bird, um, the bird survey, the Aussie bird count. So will the bushfires change the birds that we see? Um, will an increase in rainfall in, in, in rainfall in certain areas that have been in drought last year change things? Um, or maybe coronavirus will have an effect on the birds we see, especially in our cities. Um, but until we get the results, um, grab your app. And your binoculars, um, if you've got them, and go outside to the wide world and count some Aussie birds for science. You can find all information at aussiebirdcount.org.au. That's all we've got time for for this week and we are rapidly running out of time. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook. We are broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. And if you would like to tune in next week, Chris, Stu and Claire will get locked, locked in, in science. science. for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.